Hey, Dame. What's good? You know, I was curious. We've been home for a minute now recording remotely. And, you know, I just feel like I've had so much more time on my hands. I've been listening to more music, watching more shows, engaging with more podcasts. And I was curious, have you listened to any podcasts recently? Nope. Still no. I, I make this and I watch things and I love all you podcast listeners because you make this work possible. <laughs> but all you other podcasters, don't ask me. I have not heard your podcast. I'm really sorry. It is no hard feelings. I don't listen to my own. <laughs> if you were... If I were to though, to a podcast. I know where I would go. Where would you go? I'm going to check out Overcast. Overcast is an independent podcast app that embraces the open world of podcasting instead of locking it down. No exclusives, no premium content, no paywalls, just a great podcast app for everyone. Yeah, I love independence. I love free things. This sounds like where I'm going to have to go uh, step into this game of podcast listening. Podcast for the people. Get it for free on the App Store. Hello. What's up? It's Ergo. It is indeed. I am Kiss. I'm Damon. And what we do here is showcase the folks reshaping the cultures of our city and world for the more equitable and creative. How you uh, how you doing over there on the other side of town? Man, I'm living. I'm all right. How you doing, family? I'm doing okay. I've been elbow deep in the audio that we're excited to bring to you today. What we're sharing with you is some excerpts, highlights, kind of like a collage of audio from a series of virtual town halls that were put on by our buddies over at the Coalition to End Money Bond. So definitely love all our folks at the Chicago Community Bond Fund. Uh, Big shout out Matt McLaughlin, Charlene Grace, Malika Leem. Um, in the entire coalition in Money Bail, uh, for those who don't know, hundreds, if not thousands of people every year are detained um, and held in jails in Cook County and across the state uh, before they've even been convicted of a crime. If you know Ergo, you know we think incarceration is harmful in general, uh, but pretrial detention, even from like the framework of our current carceral system, is a toxic thing that is basically kidnapping poor people and um, debt slavery, in a sense. Uh, And so shout out to the whole coalition that has been doing a lot of work for the past few years to really push against pretrial detention and money bond and cash bail. Uh, Shout out also April Friendly of the coalition, as well as Senator Robert Peters, who you will hear a lot about, uh, who's been one of the chairs of trying to do some of these things down in Springfield. So what you're going to hear, like I said, is from three different town halls. We've pulled pieces and rearranged them a little bit. But just so you know, you can watch all of each of these town halls uh, on the Coalition to End Money Bonds Facebook page. They're up there if you want to hear more. Um, So in this episode, you're going to hear from Charlene Grace, the executive director of the Bond Fund, Sharon Mitchell Jr., the director of the Illinois Justice Project, Kevin Blumenberg, who's an organizer with the People's Lobby, Representative Robin Gable of the 18th District, Representative Barbara Hernandez of the 83rd District, Amanda Pyron, the Executive Director of the Network Advocating Against Domestic Violence, State Senator Robert Peters of the 13th District, Patrice James, who's the Director of Community Justice at the Shriver Center, Malik Alim, friend of the show and the Campaign Coordinator for the Coalition to End Money Bond. Amadou Drame, who's the Housing and Community Development Manager at the Metropolitan Planning Council, and Representative Kelly Cassidy of the 14th District. 
Um, if you want more info about the work, make sure that you follow the Coalition to End Money Bond on Facebook. I think that covers it. Shout out again to our partners over at the Bond Fund for this little one-off partnership. We're happy to share the thoughts, perspectives, information you need to know about how we can end money bond here in Illinois. End money bail, free them all, much love to the people. Peace. So Chicago Community Bond Fund formed in 2015. We do exactly what it sounds like. We pay bonds to get people out of Cook County Jail who are there while they're presumed innocent and awaiting trial. The only reason they're in jail is because they and their family members and other loved ones can't afford to purchase their freedom. And the second thing that we formed with the intent of doing, which we do with the Coalition and Money Bond and the Illinois Network for Pretrial Justice, is to advocate for systems change, for policy reform, that prevent people from ever being jailed because of their access to wealth and will put the bond fund out of operation. What we see every day talking to people who have been in the jail, are in the jail, are getting out of the jail, and their loved ones is the terrible impact that it has. The fact that people are losing their jobs, they're losing access to stable housing, to educational opportunities. They're being disconnected from supportive services like medical treatment, mental health treatment, um, essential government benefits. Um, so all of these things are destabilizing. And the reality is that people are coming back from Cook County Jail um, and all the jails around the state. 70% of people from Cook County Jail leave the jail and come back to the community straight away. Um, and even people who might go to prison first eventually come back to our neighborhoods. And the question is, are we helping people be in a better place when they come back? Are they more able to thrive? Um, or are they gonna have a harder time because of the impact of incarceration on their lives? We want to end cash bond. We also want to end inappropriate incarceration. Uh, and we want to understand that incarceration means so much and that it can really, really, really uh, harm a family. It also reminds me of a couple things. You know, I used to be a public defender uh, for a good period of time, and it was a tough job. But one of the reasons why I really was over it is because so much of the process in the beginning was dealing with families uh, that were struggling so hard to make bail. I would have conversations mainly with Black women, Black mothers, Black sisters, sometimes Black churches, um, that would be having these conversations about whether I pay this bill or, or bond my people out. And the amount of stress that we put people in with this system, pulling literally millions of dollars out of our communities is violence in itself. It also reminded me of how criminal cases, we really have two different worlds. We have a world on criminal justice system where a person is out, they're able to meet with their lawyer, they'll be able to negotiate with state attorneys, they're able to defend their rights. And then we have another system where people are stuck in jail and they are more apt to plead guilty, they're more apt to get a higher sentence and their rights that everybody deserves, right? There's a reason why there are about 2,000 shows on Netflix about wrongful convictions, right? One of the reasons why is because we have this system that forces people into jail and forces them into these decisions, which are, may not be true and may not keep us safe. Well, 
I'm passionate about money bonds because at the age of 16, I became a pre-child detainee. At 16 years old, your brain's not even fully developed. So a lot of times you're not even mature enough to really understand the impact of, of everything that's going on within yourself, let alone knowing how to even express it. You go from being free and having a luxury of moving around in your house to being put in a situation where your movement is restricted. And so when you have to go to preliminary hearing, you go there with hope that, hey, I'm gonna be reunited with my family. You leave feeling hopeless, wondering like, man, is my family gonna be able to pay this bond to help secure my freedom? You know, my view is that I think that the district would be very interested in this issue. We're a district that's concerned about justice and fairness. And um, just recently in Evanston, we've figured out a way to do reparations. I find this very unjust and discriminatory. I feel like we're still living in the 18th century here. It's really terrible to see. It's breaking families apart, leaving families to make a decision between whether they pay for essential items or bond out a family member. We're not going to allow the issue of domestic violence or survivor stories or what happens to them to be used to further incarcerate folks for uh, purely financial purposes. While we're concerned about victim safety, first and foremost, as activists and advocates, uh, we also need to be concerned about our greater role in shaping a justice system. And so to say that we're gonna focus on victims and survivors and their experiences as we reform the system, I think is really important because I think it just makes the system better and it doesn't take away from the fairness that we need to give to those who are charged with crimes. The only time people talk about victims is when they want to justify a carceral solution to a problem. What effect does that have where that is like the only view we like evoke the names of the victims? It doesn't keep people safe when that's the only time you think about victims is when it serves your own purpose. And so when you think about what folks are saying when they they say that, they're saying, this is how I can use this person's experience to further what I really want, which is mass incarceration. We're thinking about, you know, taking away the freedom of uh, individuals because we need to balance our budget, right? And that's, you know, that's what actually matters here. And folks use victims as a cover you know, because they think, oh, everyone will worry about a domestic violence victim. But I can tell you from experience, you know, in policy and in advocacy, that these same concerns don't exist when the budget's on the table. I think it's morally reprehensible. The idea that you would look at a person's freedom and use it to balance your budget is hugely problematic. To say that you're going to set a number on what happened to a person and that's supposed to mean something is really, um, I think, a poor message to send survivors. It also sends, I think, a poor message to um, folks who are charged with crime because you can't put a value on someone's experience. You can't say to someone, well, I think you're a risk, but I don't want to actually say that, so I'm going to charge you to, to have your freedom. Or I don't think you're a risk, but I'm going to assign this amount because it indicates something to everyone else. You know, I've worked in the federal system. We didn't operate a cash bail system. It did not affect the safety and well-being of the survivors that I worked with. Um, there are certainly other mechanisms for keeping people safe. If someone is physically in danger by someone who simply will not leave them alone, those are extreme situations. And I don't believe, and the network doesn't believe, that you design systems for the worst case scenario. You design systems for community response. You design them to be helpful 
to be supportive, to be restorative, and that those kind of public safety incarceration responses are really for worst case scenarios to be very rarely used only when uh, there's an extreme risk to public safety or to survivor safety. To me, when we talk about public safety in Chicago and we talk about gun violence, no matter what, every year we hear about how horrible gun violence is. It doesn't matter what the numbers are. It doesn't matter what the crime statistics are. It's the worst year ever, and it's terrible. And to me, it's saying, okay, well, for 40 years, we've been practicing this version of tough-on-crime policies, some sort of zombie version of tough-on-crime policies. And yet nobody feels safe every year. And every Monday, we get a press conference about weekend violence. Every Friday, we get a stock photo on social media with, like, police, you know, lights about violence. And my belief is that the way to solve this issue with violence isn't more incarceration. It isn't locking someone up simply because they're poor and then holding them ransom. Um, It's not having more uh, closed circuit television on a corner. If we want to improve the outcomes when it comes to violence and we want to make our community safer, it's making sure that folks have housing, that they have a good school, that they have grocery stores, they have good jobs. So to me, a key battle for this fight in terms of protecting people is for us to have a completely different conversation about public safety. If you are on the verge of eviction, that's a threat to your safety and that's a threat to the safety of the people around you because it puts you in a precarious situation. If you're struggling with mental health issues, you should get health care, right? That should be given to you, that should be seen as a right. When you think about a child and their education, they should be guaranteed a good school. When we talk about public safety, we know what safe communities look like. They have a good school, they have a grocery store, they have housing, they have good jobs, they have power in their workplace. We know that, that's safety. What we currently are operating with is from a space of fear. And so to me, when it comes to this issue, I think of FDR, um, who on the verge of an economy collapsing, he gives the quote, there's nothing to fear but fear itself. And what he's saying is, do not operate from a place of fear, because if you operate from a place of fear, it's going to get worse. For us to build the safety that we need, I think that advice can stick with us here. This is a time for us to to think about a new direction in terms of public safety and for us to not operate out of a place of fear, but to operate out of a place that we need to care and love and lift up each other. Because if people don't have the security and the dignity in their life, uh, they're going to have to operate in the shadow economy. Uh, They're going to have to operate uh, in spaces that they've been pushed to. And then we're going to incarcerate them instead of giving them the services, the care and the love that they deserve. So why should we invest in a failed public safety system that doesn't keep anybody safe? I'm adopted. So I struggle with a lot of abandonment stuff. Uh, and I'm pretty open about that. The very idea that you can pull a loved one away from their kid, you have to think about the impact, not just on that loved one who's been pulled away. I have it from a very different space, but I know that feeling. We cannot justify that in terms of a conversation about what is public safety. Public safety to me, and I think to so many other people, is being able to be with that loved one when you're trying to go to sleep and you're scared to lose that person 
for any any amount of time is just extremely painful, let alone on an economic level, but just on an emotional and physical level. The goal of the coalition is not just to end money bond, which, which we know is a big problem, but it's really to reduce the inappropriate use of pretrial incarceration, um, to really create a fair and more equitable pretrial system. So if we end money bond, we need to make sure that we don't just create an in and out system that will just continue the same process that we currently have of over incarcerating people and really make sure that we are allowing people to be free and to truly live out our values and what our constitution says. And what we always say is that people are presumed innocent. Um, so it's really about making sure that our pretrial system um, is equitable. The Pretrial Fairness Act follows the recommendations of the Supreme Court Pretrial Practices Commission, which was a two-year process of judges and legislators, court administrators who all came together to really do a deep dive and really examine our pretrial system in Illinois. Thankfully, the Pretrial Fairness Act follows many of their recommendations. Um, and one of the main recommendations is that there should be no more money bond. People currently are buying their freedom. People who have access to money are able to get out of jail. People who don't have access to money have to stay in jail. We talk a lot about the criminalization of poverty and you know the war on, on the poor and criminal justice. And I don't think we like really know what we're talking about when we say those things. What does criminalizing the poor look like? So I, I just looked up, how can you get your license suspended? Because I don't know if most people know, but driving on a suspended driver's license is, a, is an arrestable offense. If you get pulled over with a suspended license, you will go to jail. And most of the things on the list are uh, related to fines and fees, not paying tickets. Um, and so that, that's what happened to me. I, I was in college, I was driving my mom's car um, and I got a ticket in, in Will County. And at some point I forgot about the court date. Literally two years later, uh, I got arrested for failure to appear. They put out a warrant for my arrest uh, because my license was suspended for not paying a ticket. What ended up happening was I got arrested on the south side of Chicago, uh, held in Cook County Jail for five days before being extradited uh, to Will County. Uh, where I was given a bond hearing and made to pay $500 uh, so that I could go home. So my dad came and, and bailed me out with that 500. But so many people don't have that 500. Like I was in Cook County and in Wilk County and I talked to some of the guys that I met in there and there were multiple people in there for driving on a suspended license. And when you think about, you know, what, is a, what does a ticket mean to a person who's working class, who, you know, is living check to check, how am I going to pay that and buy groceries this week? Uh, if I don't pay it on time, it doubles. How am I then going to pay it? You ask, well, why didn't you just stop driving if you knew you're suspended? People who are working class are working. They have children. They have lives. And, you know, it's hard to transport children on the bus. It's, it's hard to, to transport children in the wintertime on the bus, right? So people are then compelled to keep driving and then they'll find themselves locked up again uh, for driving on a suspended license. And the cycle continues. Previously, I served as the director of policy at uh, an organization called the Safer Foundation, providing services to people with arrest and conviction records. When I was at the Safer Foundation, I had a chance to really see everything happen from the front end of the justice system to the end. Um, what Sharon hasn't told you, he's doing all this talking about me. Like the second week of my working at Safer Foundation, Sharon and I took a field trip and we went down to the Cook County bond uh, hearing room. And we sat there for like three hours 
I saw, got to see really the gateway to modern day slavery is what I look at it as. It's, it's literally the front door. And my time at Safer Foundation, I saw what it was like for people to live with a scarlet letter for the rest of their life. And the reality is the costs associated with this don't just impact us in Evanston. They impact everybody because we all pay into the pot. Every time somebody returns back into the justice system, it costs us all over $150,000 for one individual. And so I just think it's important if you don't care about it for moral reasons, you should at least care about it for the sake of your own pocketbooks because we're paying for this. Much like how we approached the legalization regulation of, of adult use cannabis, we came at it from the place of undoing the harms, undoing the lack of equity, undoing the, the systemic racism that, that was baked into how we uh, enforce those laws. Similarly, cash bond has those same unequal impacts on communities. I mean, Robert and I could both get arrested for the same crime and both appear before the same judge and end up with vastly different pretrial outcomes. 90% of that would be that first glance thing. We know that. We've seen it play out. I worked in the jail. I watched it play out. I talked to people who, but for, for $250, could be home. The sheer volume of folks whose lives are being destroyed by the existence of, of money bonds puts that, that, that urgency to this. You know, I think we do have the momentum. I feel like we are hearing from folks who are understanding that, that there are other approaches available. And I do think that we've got um, a real opportunity to make, to, to make this change permanent for the state. This year has been wild for everyone. And so the, the normal kind of avenues and routes to, to getting the law passed have been kind of up in the air. Um, but what we are hoping for and what we are pushing for is that we we see our, our bill, the Pre-Child Fairness Act, voted on in veto session um, next month. We've coalesced all of what needs to be done in this bill. And for the people who see themselves languishing in jail um, and having to, to make the impossible choice between coming up with money that they don't have um, and pleading out and having a criminal record or going home, the time to change that is now. We don't have time to wait.